The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the season premiere of season two of Strange New Worlds. Yay! Yay. It's called The Broken Circle. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and I'm very excited, as you can tell. And joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stiga. Hey, Father Corey. How's it going? I'm very excited as well. <laughs> and Jimmy Aiken. Hey, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Folks, be sure to stick around to the end because we have a lot of great listener feedback that we want to share from some of our recent episodes. And I want to encourage you to, if you haven't yet already, follow The Secrets of Star Trek in Apple Podcasts. We're on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, your favorite podcast app. Uh, we're on YouTube where you can watch us in video. And when you're on YouTube, make sure to hit the bell to get notifications and subscribe. And another show on the StarQuest Network I wanted to tell you about that you're sure to enjoy is called Raising the Bets. And you can find that wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash B-E-T-T-S. All right. All that out of the way. Let's get to it. Jimmy, tell us uh, a recap of what happened in this episode. Oh, boy. There's a lot going on in this one. Okay. This week, we meet up with the Enterprise in space dock at Starbase One. Captain Pike takes a shuttle to go find a distant lawyer to defend number one against the charges of having lied about her species on her Starfleet application and violating its genetic editing rules. While Pike is gone, Spock is in command, and the ship receives a distress signal from La'an. To reunite the girl she was caring for with her parents, she has gone to a dilithium mining planet on the border of Klingon space. Like Spandau Prison on Earth, it's shared in alternating shifts by the Klingons and the Federation. But there is a syndicate from both races who have decided peace isn't good for business, and they want to restart the Klingon War. They've built a Federation-style ship, and they plan to use it to attack a Klingon ship in a false flag operation to restart the war. To answer La'an's distress call, Spock steals the Enterprise by faking an imminent warp core breach to create an excuse to get away from Starbase One. He does this with the help of Commander Pelia, an academy teacher who becomes the ship's new chief engineer. When they get to the planet, Dr. Mbenga and Nurse Chapel are taken prisoners by the syndicate. They learn the plan and sabotage the false flagged ship's transponder so that it broadcasts a message that says, Enterprise, destroy this ship. But Mbenga and Chapel are trapped on board the ship. They take temporary super soldier serum to fight their way through the Klingons, but they end up trapped in an airlock with no spacesuits. As the false flagship is preparing to attack the Klingon destroyer, the Enterprise gets the message from its transponder. Spock realizes what has happened, and he concludes that even if Mbenga and Chapel are on the ship, they judged it worth their lives to stop a war. He orders the Enterprise to fire on the false flagship and destroy it. Fortunately, just as this is happening, Mbenga and Chapel airlock themselves and jump into space. The Enterprise gets a signal from a device they have and beams them on board before they die, except Chapel is on the verge of death and Spock has to do CPR on her. Afterwards, he watches her sleeping in sickbay, and he sheds a tear as he wrestles with his emotions over the fact that he almost killed her, despite the fact he's partly in love with her. 
Spock also drinks blood wine and carouses with the Klingons to convince them that the Enterprise's intentions were honest and that they were trying to stop a war. Back at Starbase One, Commodore April lets Spock off with a slap on the wrist, and he privately tells a fellow senior officer that Spock may have just saved them from fighting a war on two fronts because they're expecting a war with the Gorn may start. The end. Oh, you're right. That is a lot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so let's get into it then. Uh, first, overall first impression of the beginning of season two, Father Corey? Wow, uh, this this was a great one. This was a good start. I mean, it, it I saw you know complaint on on Discord that it started out slow, but I think that was actually a good way to do it, where you can kind of ease into kind of because they did the you know previously on last season, but then also kind of introduce within the story where we're at, mm. you know, kind of get us to the point where we are now. And they did, I think they did a good way of doing that, just kind of easing it on. Uh, and then of course the action takes off, and it it really really takes off. Um, I have to say this right away. Carol Kane is Commander Pelia. Awesome. Awesome. She's a lot. She's was, a lot of fun. I was looking forward to her being on this and she hasn't disappointed yet. So awesome. <laughs> this is no, this was a great, great first episode for the season. I really enjoyed it. Uh, Jimmy. I thought it was a good first episode. It had some flaws, including a, a couple of little pieces of of subtle wokeness that I could have done without. Um, but uh, it was really engaging. I realized normally I take notes all the way through the uh, episodes as I'm watching them for the podcasts. And in this case, I started watching it and I realized I'm 60 percent of the way through this episode and haven't taken one note. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was that's how engaging it was. I, it kept me thinking about the episode and not thinking about taking notes. So I thought it was uh, I thought it was fun. And I agree. Carol Kane as Commander Pelia is awesome. And I look forward to seeing more of her character. I, I thought her accent was a little annoying, but maybe I'll get used to it. It yeah. is the accent. I think it's the accent from Princess Bride, which is amuses mm. me to no end because I'm a huge Princess Bride. Fan. It's close. It's close. It's, close. it's a little different. It, it's. It seems like it's sort of Eastern European, but not quite. <laughs> I just can't yeah, wait till she says, agree. says to Pike, I'm your chief engineer. I'm not a witch. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, Carol Kane is a blast. I was kind of curious how they would incorporate this comic actress who's a little older now as a chief mm -hmm. engineer into this storyline. And um, I love the idea that she's a Lanthanite which is a new species. Yeah, um, we've never heard of them before. And they, they are essentially immortal, so kind of mm -hmm. Time Lordish, who lived on Earth among humans unknown until the 22nd century, which is kind of Guinan-ish, right? It's kind of like mm -hmm. Guinan's people. And uh, I think that introduces some interesting story possibilities uh, for, mm -hmm. for her. So I like that. I like at one point, you know, she's she's at she's saying, you know what the worst problem is of living almost forever? Mm -hmm. And and it's like losing all the people you love. And it's like and and she doesn't say it, but like, dude, if you're from an immortal race, the people you love aren't dying either. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but she says, no, it's the boredom. Yeah. <laughs> I want well, adventure. Oh, I love that because that's such an answer to, you know, like we talk about uh, Shilder slash me in Doctor Who, where she just gave up loving people because like, no, you're just going to get bored. It right. kind of kind of pokes at that 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 trope of, oh, yeah, everybody around me is going to die. 
Yes, it's the Doctor it's like, Who well, thing. Yeah, you know, it's like, and 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 she rightfully says, if you love someone, you're gonna lose them. It's gonna happen. It doesn't matter how long you live. It's right. gonna happen. Right. Exactly. Everyone. Everyone faces faces that. It, but yeah, the, I like. I, I thought that was a good thing. The, the boredom. Um, the uh, it, what another thing that surprised me about this was we actually we essentially have a Pikeless episode. Like Pike mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. gone from like nearly the beginning. That's a pretty bold move on their part to go without Pike. I think they realized they had an opportunity here that they wouldn't normally have because from the classic series, I mean, Spock is the breakout character. Mm-hmm. And Pike, uh, if, the, if so, what they realize is, hey, if um, number one's off the ship right now, mm-hmm. she was she would normally be the one in charge if right. if Pike leaves mm-hmm. for some reason, and so but she's not on the ship right now. So if Pike goes too, we can get Spock in command, right? Mm-hmm. And so it was an opera. It was a unique opportunity to get Spock in command that fit with the overall context yeah. of what's going on. I had thought they were going to have this was going to be our our trial episode, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm I guess that'll be next episode, maybe. Yeah. Um, but uh, I thought it was nice to have a diversion where we get to see a young Lieutenant Spock in command. Yeah. And that was fun. Yeah, they, yeah. they, they did release a, uh, a little teaser or a little snippet of the second episode, which is and it is the trial episode. And I have a feeling that's going to be a Pike heavy episode. Yeah. Right. Along with, of course, number one. Yeah. Um, so this was an opportunity to kind of balance it for other members of the crew because we get to see Ensign Uhura. She yep. gets promotion. We get Orteus. Uh, I can't, I, I'm blanking on the, the other. Mabenga, uh, Chapel. And Chapel. Ch- yeah. Mabenga and Chapel, but then the, the, the Asian gal that also there. Oh, yeah. The, uh, the navigator. Um, yeah. Who has actually been on the show before, but uh, but is not. A main character, right? Oriana, she's kind of a guest. Oriana, yeah. 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 The um, and I, I liked seeing all the focus on Chapel and Mbenga in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the criticisms of last season that I've heard that I think is valid is we didn't get an we got a good bit of Pike, but we didn't get enough number one and Spock. That right. there was too much focus on the supporting characters, and really we want to see more of our core three. Yeah, and so between this episode, which was Spock focused, and next episode, which will be Pike and Number One focused, I think they may be redressing that right. somewhat. I do need to fix what I just said. Uh, it's not Oriana. Oriana's a little girl. Yeah, the, right, the, sure. the navigator is Mitchell. Uh, her name Mitchell. is Mitchell. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Jenna Mitchell. And it's interesting, Spock being a lieutenant, being placed in charge. Uh, La'an probably would have been third mm-hmm. in charge. And she's on her leave mm-hmm. of absence. But or, they're in, they're, or um, oh, what's his name? The Andorian, the Einar. Well, he's dead. Although, so. uh, no, yeah. no, 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 no. That's my point. Oh, but yeah. Ordina- ordinarily. Yeah. Ordinarily the chief engineer. Um, yeah. Yeah, it would have been the chief engineer who would but be next. They're in space dock, so you know, put the lieutenant in charge. What could go wrong? <laughs> yeah, that's just making sure Dewey stations happen, and that's about it. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I, I can imagine Pike was not expecting anything to to be happening, and and so I can imagine what his reaction will be to Spock having taken the Stolen ship out. in the Enterprise. Stolen yeah. Enterprise. <laughs> uh, so we do get this hint at a bigger crisis that Starfleet is facing from like at the beginning, at the very end with uh, Admiral April and the Gorn being a bigger deal. I saw some fans kind of wondering, are they going to 
break continuity and have because because as we saw in the arena in the original series, they hadn't seen the Gorn face to face. So they're wondering, you know, we've already had people see the Gorn. Are we breaking mm-hmm. continuity it, even it, more? It, immature ones anyway. Yeah. Yep. And and they and, you know, the way they handled that last season was saying, well, the only people who've seen a Gorn really are all dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are a few exceptions to that. I think they can, you know, as long as the Gorn aren't generally seen, you right. know, it's still mm-hmm. reasonable that Kirk has not seen one and they're not, and, and there's not a general recognition of, oh, hey, that's a Gorn, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think they can preserve continuity. You can even have a war with the Gorn. That doesn't require you to see the enemy, right? Uh, right. You're just in, not in not in not in this kind of war, like the Romulan War, where yeah, we yep. already established that they didn't see them, and it's a little implausible, but it's doable. Sure. Uh, you know, one of the things that I don't know, I should have I should have rewatched looking for this, but Mabenga's animus against Vulcans. I don't know that that's ever been established before. Like he seemed to have this particular. Or did I mis- misinterpret what I saw his his really angry reaction against the Vulcans on this planet? Um, I don't recall. I don't. I'm not Vulcans sure what you're referring or, to. Sorry, Klingons. I, oh, okay. Mixed up. Klingons, yeah. Animus against uh, Klingons. Sorry. No, that hasn't been established before. But okay. in this episode, they established that he ha- he was at some very tough fighting in mm-hmm. the Klingon War, and it seems to suffer some kind of post-traumatic effects of that. Okay. Right. Okay. Because making sure I didn't forget this from before. Yeah. And right. as a result, he always carries temporary super soldiers, more than one vial of temporary <laughs> yeah. super soldier serum with him. That is, that is an odd thing to have in your go bag, but <laughs> it's good thing he did. It's <laughs> kind of like, I guess, you know, being the, being the victim of a home invasion or something. And thereafter you always conceal carry a gun with you right. or something. Right. You always want to be able to defend yourself against, in this case, yeah. Klingons. What? One thing I did like about Mbenga, though, is there's a lot of scenes where he's got kind of almost this knowing half, uh, half smirk, half smile. Like he know he knows, he knows more of what's going on than he really lets on. Yeah. I really like Mbenga. I think he's mm-hmm. one of my favorite breakout characters in this series. I really like him too, but I've, I think the actor's delivery could be improved. Mm-hmm. Um, the, I mean, I like the actor. Um, he's quite different than the original Dr. Mbenga on from the 60s ep- series, but I, you know, it's okay. Um, but I've heard him referred to as Strange New World's mumbler. Mm. And mm. because, and, and he's got, he's not only, not only does he tend to speak very softly and mumbly, he's also got an accent that's pretty strong. And I think if he spoke up more and toned down the accent, he would be more in, he would, it would be easier to understand him and he would, you can still understand him mostly without using the captions, which are useless these days because of they're being thrown off by all the Paramount plus inserts (laughs) um, across all Star Trek on Amazon. Um, It's like, could you, and I see the same thing happening with other series. It's like, let's shove ads into this and it completely throws off the closed captioning. It Um, makes it useless. Um, But uh, I wish they'd fix that, but you can mostly understand him 
but it requires extra cognitive processing. So his scenes to me don't flow as easily. They're not quite as fluid. I have to concentrate more to, to process what the actor playing Mbenga is saying. Mm -hmm. And I wish I, I wish I like Mbenga, but I wish I didn't have to deal with that. This obviously goes on to the long, long running concern about how they're doing audio editing and recording now with, TV production in general, TV and movie production in general, right? They're not they're not doing it the same way they did 20, 30 years ago, and that does allow it. It does allow it to be more natural, mm-hmm. but it also causes it makes it much harder to understand, especially if you do have even just mild hearing loss. Yeah, yeah. and I've these days for almost all, all TV shows that I'm watching, they're mixing the sound in such a way I've got to crank up the volume. You know, or yeah. use subtitles or both. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've got closed captioning on a lot of stuff just on automatically. Just, yep. I, I don't know if that it's just older being, you know, growing older or just <laughs> or both that they were also mumbling a lot more. I think it's both. Yeah, it's both. So, uh, you mentioned Laon took a leave of absence to take care of Oriana after that. This was something that happened at the end of last season. And so she's mm-hmm. still gone on that. It was a weird comment. By you know, Uhura picks up this faint distress signal from Laan, mm-hmm. um, and Admiral April has this weird dismissal of it. Of well, she's she's not a member of Starfleet anymore anyway, so we're not gonna like okay. A leave of absence Grave, is not gr- no longer a member, and B yeah. distress yeah. signal <laughs> and yeah. gra- distress signal that says grave danger to Federation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so his rationale or part of it for saying don't follow up on this is that this planet is diplomatically sensitive. And so if you show up and it's not the Federation shift, it could be interpreted as an act of war. And it's like, okay, that's true, but (laughs) diplomatically sensitive planet and message saying grave danger to Federation. Maybe someone else is there and is un- destabilizing the <laughs> <Yeah>. situation. <laughs> exactly. Maybe you should at least check it out, investigate, mm-hmm. you know, instead of dismissing it. So, uh, yeah, that was weird. Then um, Spock is uh, also carrying over from last season. Spock is dealing with during that Gorn attack, he lowered his emotional controls and is having trouble raising them again. You know, mm-hmm. I guess you, you put it. Um, and, uh, and Benga is trying to help him deal with the stress. And so this is where we get the introduction of the Vulcan harp that we see in the original yep. series that uh, Spock plays. So we get that. Um, so I mentioned, so I mentioned Uhura, you mentioned how she got prom- uh, her, she got commissioned. She's no longer a cadet. She's an ensign. So that's really nice. So we have a, a thing that happens at this point after they steal the enterprise out of space dock um, we, uh, that I want to kind of address, which is something a gimmick in current Star Trek that I feel like they're almost taking too far, which is the whole, the go to warp phrase, you know, this Mm -hmm. whole idea of everyone's get. we had it at the end of Star Trek Picard with, with uh, seven. And of course we were all waiting for Picard to say it himself engage and all this. And so we had this admittedly humorous scene of Spock trying to come up with his goat go to warp phrase which was a lot of yep. fun uh what is a um i would like to very I, much go I, now <laughs> i want i want the ship to go now <laughs> yes yeah <laughs> and so i mean i don't know what do you think do you think they're like it's it, it's not a big deal I, I i i would guess but do you think they're making too much of this i i find it kind of 
It was a great gag when they first started it. I think it was Lord Dex that yes. first introduced the idea. Warp of me. The, the, Warp yeah. me. Yes, right. Yeah, that's right, because she was, she was uh, Captain Freeman was practicing what her phrase was going to be or is going to be here. Yeah. And um, that's where the, it kind of started out as a joke there, and it was cute. It was funny. And then we saw it in Picard, and, you know, of course, they, they left it off where we don't hear what Seven's phrase is. And then they bring that up again here. And it's there's part of me having again having served in the military how does starfleet not have a standard this is the command you give when you tell your people okay set course and speed what is the command you give to tell them to execute it right yeah. and it probably would be something like execute yes mm -hmm. or engage but yeah or engage or activate or you know because yeah. i mean the, the that's part of, I know, Starfleet's not a military. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, part of military protocol is when you're in a, a combat situation, you need a clear command to do something. Standardized. And it can't be yep. this person uses this language, this person uses this language. It needs to be this is the language you use to do X. Right, right. That's true. I can, and I agree, in the real world, that's exactly what would happen. Um, in this fantasy world, I can, I can kind of accept, okay, even though it, even though they haven't, they didn't explore this until recently, mm -hmm. there's an element of Starfleet culture where it's a tradition for each captain to, or, you know, each person who functions yeah. as captain to have their own phrase. Um, and so they're honoring a, a, a tradition. Mm -hmm. uh, because we do have military traditions today. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's true. Um, absolutely. This one doesn't make a lot of sense, but I can kind of accept it. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and I think actually on Discovery, they had one where, um, uh, what's her name, had, had her own phrase, too. Oh, Michael. Michael had her phrase, too. Um, so uh, other cliches that that have developed in, in movies and TV is the cliche of the smaller woman in a drinking contest with a much mm. larger man and beating him at it. And this goes yep. back to Raiders of the Lost Raiders Ark. Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> <Yep>. Yeah. <laughs> Marion Ravenwood. Yes. I, I have a friend who uh, his wife is a nurse. And when they watched that movie together, his wife said, it's physically possible for a woman to outdrink a man in this way, but that would not be the shape of her nose. <laughs> <laughs> Meaning she would have drunk so much in the past that, yep. it, you know, the effect distorting effects of drink on her nose would be obvious. Right, mm -hmm. right, right. Yeah. She'd have to be alcoholic uh, yeah. to do it. But you know, we, what we're trying to do is very quickly show on as holding her own and that sort of thing. I have to say Kajitar, the planet, I love the design. It's a fascinating, mm -hmm. unique design for a planet that it must have different gravity than Earth because those things would never stand up. Yeah. It's got these weird geological formations that are incredibly top heavy, standing on really long, spindly columns. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I will say yeah. that it it almost struck me, especially that initial scene where you see the waterfall and everything. That almost struck me more like a Star Wars Mm -hmm. design yeah. planet design i yeah. mean it really because star wars tended to be tends to be more fantastical with their planet designs right and mm -hmm. that's really kind of what it struck me and almost you know like something like endor or something like that more than something you'd find in 
Star Trek. Star Trek has always had sort of conventional planet designs. Yeah. Another thing that I like about this planet design. So the Enterprise spends a good bit of time hiding in what I initially assumed was an asteroid field, which like all asteroid fields in sci-fi TV and movies is incredibly overstuffed (laughs) with chaotic asteroids that would be incredibly unsafe to be around. In real life, you can sail through our our asteroid belt no problem. It Mm -hmm. just means there's some asteroids here. It doesn't mean it's densely packed and you're going to have to weave around them. Right. But eventually, and these asteroids are are what I assumed were asteroids are interesting to look at. They're all red crystals. Mm -hmm. And they explain that they've got a high iron content in them which also has helps block whatever is in them from sensors, which Mm -hmm. is why the Klingons can't immediately sense the presence of the Enterprise. Although why they didn't detect its approaching warp signature, I don't know. Um, But they eventually established that this isn't an asteroid belt. It's rings around the planet. Mm -hmm. And I like that. That's nice because rings can be densely packed. And so, you know, if you go to Saturn's rings, you can't just sail through those like they're nothing. That's right. And so so it's different than the ring systems we have currently here in our system. By the way, ring systems are not forever. Saturn did not always have its rings and Mm -hmm. it won't always have them in the future. Neither will Jupiter or the other gas. Uh, gas giants that have them in our system. Mm-hmm. Um, so apparently this planet had a red crystal moon or something that broke up mm-hmm. and formed this current asteroid field. Yeah, I was thinking about the, if the asteroid, if our asteroid belt was as dense as people... Or, sorry, formed the ring system. Right. Yeah. As, uh, as If our asteroid was as dense, it would be more mass than the entire rest of the solar system put together. Mm-hmm. Um, if our mm-hmm. asteroid belt was that dense. So, yeah, <laughs> not not really logical. Uh, another interesting thing that they've done is the Klingons. We have, I think, definitively shed off the discovery redesign of the Klingons. And we now yes. have the conventional TNG era Klingons back again. Thank you very much. I mean, we saw that with Worf and Picard, but, you know, we, yeah. now we've earlier seen other, in time. And yeah. It's good they've forgotten that. Um, just like. that's the best Klingon design, the one they introduced in the movies and carried forward in the next-gen Deep Space Nine Voyager era. Mm -hmm. They look much better than the original Klingons. They look much better than the Discovery Klingons. They look much better than the J.J. Abrams Klingons. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's like, guys, you already have, you've already, don't change it just to change it. You've already got a great design. Stick with it. And so now we have a Mopi. Um, Mopi is a term that is sometimes used in comic book fandom. It refers to a character named Mopi who appeared in the Silver Age Flash comics once. Um, Mopi was one of the seven heavenly helpers who was kind of a magical imp, uh, wizard-like character. And it turned out that it was Mopi who was responsible for the lightning striking the uh, rack of lab chemicals that splashed Barry Allen and turned him into the Flash. Mm -hmm. So Mopey was responsible for the Flash's origin, they decided. And then they undecided it because it was incredibly (laughs) stupid. And so they've never mentioned Mopey again or 
with very rare comedic exceptions, maybe. Um, but c- comic book fandom decided to collectively forget Mopey and eject him from canon. And so now <laughs> we can do that with that awful Klingon makeup design. <laughs> well, that'll be good. That's kind of what they did in DS9 with the Tribbles episodes about how Klingons didn't have the ridges in TOS. <laughs> yeah. We don't talk about that. We, we don't talk about that. That's right. That's right. Um, but then they did in the Enterprise. Yes. Yeah, they 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 went back there. Um, so the 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 story revolves around this plot, which is I think is an interesting plot. Uh, plot within the plot, so to speak. Mm. The story is there. There are these war profiteers who have decided, as you said, Jimmy. Uh, there's more profit in war than in peace, and so Klingons and humans working together to start a new war, which is kind of funny. Except we only seem to see the Klingon members of this syndicate. I mean, mm-hmm. certainly they're the most prominent ones. There are yeah. prominent human on-screen members of it. Maybe someone in the background. Yeah. There are some well, that, background humans on the ship. And that, that that could have to do with the fact that this is the Klingon cycle so that we see more of the Klingons. Mm-hmm. That right. could be. I mean, that's just guessing. But yeah, they I, I, it basically is so that we could have the big fight with all a bunch of Klingons. <laughs> and they've built this Federation starship underground on this. Now, I'm going to... I'm I'm headcanoning. I don't know that they actually said this on screen. They've probably taken an old starship that was destroyed in battle and taken its remnants mm-hmm. and rebuilt it. Because the idea Maybe. that they would have built it from scratch mm. and done anything more than just have it as a shell on the interior. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, why would you bother making the entire ship exactly yeah. the way it's supposed to be? You well, yeah, they did say that they were getting as much uh, Federation technology as they can, Starfleet technology as they can. So and it, it was a recognizable class of ship. You know, they did yeah. talk about that. You know, this is whatever class. Um, you know, the saucer section, by the way, was a discovery style saucer section, and yep. clearly the sets were the discovery sets. So, right, right. That's true. This was also connects to another writing flaw in this episode. Uh, what Laan is doing is, on this planet, ostensibly, her cover story is she's here to sell Federation stuff to the syndicate, which is called the broken circle, giving us the title of the episode. Mm. I don't know why it's called the broken circle, but it is. (laughs) Um, I interpreted the broken circle as the fact. So there's the famous hymn, let the circle be unbroken, Mm -hmm. which mean in, in the context of the hymn, it's may all of our family get to heaven. Mm -hmm. So the circle of our family will be unbroken in heaven. And I interpreted the title initially, the title Broken Circle, as a reference to the fact that we've got our family on the on the Enterprise scattered all over the place. You know, number one is not here. Pike is not here. And Benga and Chapel get separated. And so you have this broken circle in that sense. But um, but anyway, Laan is selling stuff to Federation stuff to the Broken Circle for their plot, which is a false flag operation. And I like the fact they just say it's a false flag operation and don't even bother to explain what that is. They're Mm -hmm. expecting the audience to know that. And um, as someone who studies real life false flag operations like Operation Northwoods, I Mm -hmm. appreciated Mm -hmm. that. Um, But look at what she's selling them. Hand phasers. And it's like, I need much more than this. I need double this amount of hand phasers. Like, why? Your plot is to attack a, a, a D7 destroyer in orbit. Why do you need hand phasers? Right. 
unless they have other operations in addition to that planned, I guess. That's the only thing I could I could think of that would explain it. But you're right. I mean, they, well, should they be, don't go into those then. They right, should tell yeah. us about them. It should be, you know, phaser, you know, emplacement, ship, you know, uh, equipment, that sort of stuff that should be they should be really interested in. By the way, it is a the same class as Discovery. By the way, the ship is the ship design. Mm, it's, was it? It's cross. They call it Crossfield, and that's the design. That's the ship class for Discovery. So, uh, oh, they only showed it, it to different. us upside down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. Yeah, you only. You, I don't know if they just didn't want the viewer to be confused by thinking it's actually Discovery, but they only show us at angles where you can see that the the, the saucer looks well, like Discovery, then- but. Yeah. And maybe that's that's how they can you can say then that, yeah, it was made up of parts from a bunch of different ships that were patched together. Right. Right. But this was the base class they went off of. That, that yeah. would make sense, I guess. And and there's some ambiguity about that. I think it's Mitchell who once they finally see the ship in orbit, I think it's Mitchell who says, I think it's Crossfield. Right. Yeah. right. Rather than definitively recognizing it as, oh, that's a Crossfield. Right. And that might, that might be because of the split saucer. Yeah. The saucer is clearly like that. And the rest of it may be different. Um, so we talked a little bit about the super serum that uh, Mabinga and Chapel take. And so we have this amusing scene of the doctor and nurse <laughs> taking out Klingon warriors left and right uh, to the to the uh, ship. And Mbenga almost strangles a Klingon to death and mm-hmm. Chapel has to stop him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it's um, I mean, this is action hero stuff for the for a. A Starfleet doctor, unlike we've seen in anything else. I mean, no other mm. Starfleet doctor yeah. has been quite so active uh, mm-hmm. in any of the other series. Um, well, apart from Bashir, maybe, but. Even Bashir. Yeah. Yeah. And we do hear why Mbenga is so affected, you know, that, that he was on this massive battle that, you know, he says that there was so much blood in the air that it, it was turning red. Right. You know, which you can imagine that would be yes. horrific. Um, and so they get cornered after the, the you know, programming a, a distress signal um, into the into the transponder for the ship, which is a nice little trick. Um, they get cornered in a in, in, a, in, in Morse code two, <laughs> yes, mm-hmm. which apparently is a they redid Morse code, and uh, they get into an airlock where there aren't any suits. There's just a helmet and a chest piece, uh, one of each, and um, and they decide to take their chance the only chance they have is to go out into the vacuum of space and hope that they get beamed aboard fast enough which i would assume you know a a starfleet doctor and nurse would probably know just how much hard vacuum they could stand and be brought back from and probably it could be brought back from more than what they're thinking Mm-hmm. Um, because they're thinking we're going to be dead in a minute and we'll be unconscious in 15 seconds or something like that, I think is what Mbenga says. Frankly, Chapel should already know that. That's exposition for the audience. Mm. Um, but, I mean, if you're a medical professional of any kind working in space, you should know how much hard vacuum you can stand. <laughs> That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, I do, and I like Chapel's line where, you know, Mbenga is explaining uh, there's this chance we could survive, and Chapel says, I know, it's terrible. Let's get to it then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, right. and and then they do what they should do. If you're in an, a ship that's about to be destroyed, they stand up against the airlock doors when they open. And Mm -hmm. that's good because you want to get as far away from that ship as possible. What what 
blows you out in an airlock is the force of the air behind you escaping through the door. So you, if you stand up against the far wall away from the airlock doors to the exterior, there's no air behind you to push you out Mm -hmm. and you'll just stay there. But Mm -hmm. if you get in front of, if you get up to the exterior airlock doors, then all of the air in the airlock is behind you. And as it's released into the vacuum, it will push you out. The vacuum of space is not like a vacuum cleaner. It does not suck. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Put it that way. (laughs) I think that's that's the thing that almost every TV show and movie gets wrong uh, in general. It doesn't suck. One one thing. One thing I like, too, is they they called out the trope of, oh, we've been in worse situations. And Nurse Chapel just says, no, no, we know we haven't. This is pretty much the worst. (laughs) This is the worst. Uh, That was good. Uh, And then Spock is on the ship. He's got to take this emotional decision to kill Chapel. You can see him. I think he's even a tear at one point mm-hmm. where he's trying to wrestle with the need to destroy the ship to stop the war. It's interesting that he initially, I mean, he puts with the, some help from the bridge crew, he puts together what's happened really fast. And he initially is very logical about it. And she's like, they've, someone points out they could still be on that ship. And he says, yes, but they've judged that their lives are worth it to stop a war. And he acknowledges that up front and he doesn't affect his decision. He does fire on the ship. He delays a little bit for dramatic effect, but he does Mm -hmm. fire on the ship. And you see him at the moment he gives the order to fire and immediately thereafter weighing the emotional side of it. You know, Mm -hmm. it's starting to impact him emotionally. And uh, and then does something completely illogical, which is instead of staying to talk to the Klingon battlecruisers mm. captain to defuse the war, he runs off the bridge. <laughs> like, yep. Who's yeah. talking to the Klingon captain to prevent him from blasting the Enterprise into bits? Uh, uh, he's got to get down to give CPR to Nurse Chapel. <laughs> yes, mm-hmm. yes. Uh, now, I oh also I wanted yeah. to say speaking of that um, the the. Transport, the moment of transport when they beam them onto the Enterprise is really effectively done. It's mm-hmm. different than other transports. I mean, if this were Voyager, we'd see Tom and Balana floating in space and then yeah. they, we'd get the standard space, you know, transporter dematerialization effect. But that's not what we get here. Um, Chapel and and Mbenga leap into space, and then there's this incredibly chaotic swirling jump cut mm-hmm. of them as they're beamed in. And so we don't have this motionless thing dematerialize and then motionless thing rematerializes. And then the action starts again. It's like a swirling chaotic jump cut yeah, with yeah. a little bit of transporter overlay. And it's very jarring and effective. Wasn't it yeah. even first person point of view? I think I too? believe so. Yeah, yeah. it's really it's yeah. it's much closer up. Yeah. Than you would expect. It, yeah. It, yeah like you, li- you literally see the, the transporter base swirling as it comes into view. Yeah. Yeah. That was pretty wild. And then collapsing. Um, so some I, I think I saw a little bit of criticism, not much, but a little bit of uh, how easily the, the, they diffuse the situation with the Klingon captain. But, you know, yeah. it kind of feels like TOS, like this mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. you would wrap things up pretty quickly and you because the important stuff has been dealt with, like trying right. to deal with the Klingon captain is sort of extra to the mm-hmm. the main point of the story. And so I'm glad they didn't waste time with that. 
and just get to the fun resolution. They spent more time with the resolution than Next Gen would have. There are mm-hmm. times on Next Gen where it's like we're right up to the end and it's like we have a view screen. OK, I guess we're not going to kill each other now. And that's the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And in this case, the Klingon captain insists on meeting Spock and looking him in the eye and and drinking blood wine with him. And we get a nice fun scene of yeah. Spock drinking blood wine and bellowing like a Klingon to fit in with the Klingons. And <laughs> yeah. it's it's great. Yeah, it it made the Klingons more more fun. That's, that's one thing I think that can happen with Klingons is they can make them so serious and stoic. Yeah. And they even call that out in, T, in TNG that, you know, yeah. Worf was almost a little too stoic as a Klingon. Yeah. And we get to see Klingons actually having fun where the. Klingon captain has great respect for Spock because he's a Vulcan who's not like any other Vulcan he's ever met. Right. Right. You know, and, and you get Spock where he's just completely blitzed. He's drunk. <laughs> he's gone. Well, and, and he, yeah, the, the DS9, much Chappellia's, much Chappellia's uh, yeah. amusement. Yeah. Sorry. I was going to, I was going to mention that the DS nine Klingons are those fun, you know, Martok yeah. and others that just, they, they were a much better evolution of the Klingons um, than than we we'd had uh, at other times, and that was another problem with the Discovery Klingons. Not to harp on Discovery, I suppose, but they just got so stick in the mud. You know, they were too mm-hmm. serious, too ugh, what whatever. Uh, these are less alien Klingons that we can at least connect with again. So that was that was nice. Uh, there was some great stuff with the Klingons in Deep Space Nine. Um, mm-hmm. I better than in. Um, than in next gen, I didn't like a lot of the politics with uh, episodes with the Klingons, yeah. but yep. in in next gen, but in Deep Space Nine, I think they used them to better effect, and, and from multiple directions. In the final season, there's a scene with Esri, <clears throat> where, um, I think it's actually Worf who's talking to her about the state of the Klingon Empire, and Esri says, "Well, you're not going to like this, but the Klingon Empire is dying, and." Frankly, I think it deserves to die. And Worf is like, you are correct. I am not liking this. And Esri says, you know, Jadzia couldn't see this. But um, Mm -hmm. if you think about recent Klingon history, it's been really dysfunctional and Mm -hmm. not even standing up for its own principles of honor. And Mm -hmm. that's led to more and more problems. And if if it can't get it together and stick to its principles, it's going to die. That should be could be an interesting run of plot for Star Trek Legacy, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. he hoped for episode, uh, series with uh, Seven as captain of the New Enterprise. So uh, that would be that would be interesting. Um, so as we end here, we mentioned Pelia, you know, talking to uh, to to Spock about you know being in Atlantonite and living on Earth, and she does drop a little hint, a bomb there. Uh, that by the way, your mother is the first person I ever. She one of the, the first. first. Yeah, one of the first person I ever revealed myself to on Earth as being a Lanthanite. Uh, but that's a tale for another time, which is mm-hmm. let's hang that on a on a hook and come back to that which in means, a future episode, I'm sure. Yeah. Which means we'll probably see Amanda sometime this season. Mm-hmm. And she she mentioned Amanda earlier in the episode. She refers mm-hmm. to Spock as son of Amanda. Yeah. Yep. So she yeah. obviously knew him, her better than she apparently knew Sarek. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So a couple things I'd like this to kind of wrap up, up as a more general thought for myself is uh, I like Spock more now. I was unsure about Ethan Peck as Spock in the beginning 
not in Discovery, mm-hmm. but in the beginning of Strange New Worlds, I wasn't I, sure. I, I thought he was fine in Discovery. He needs the beard back. Yeah, he, he looks better the with the beard. Yeah, he certainly does. Uh, and the, but the beginning of Strange New Worlds, I was a little unsure of him. I'm liking him a lot more now. Um, mm-hmm. We're I think we're coming to, as we saw in the Cage, the original series pilot, the Spock of the Cage was open with his emotions. And I mm-hmm. think that's probably yeah. where they're going is a Spock mm-hmm. who is open about his emotions. Um, I'm not sure how I feel about the chapel to pow, not to pow, um, to praying Spock mm-hmm. yep. triangle. I, I don't know if I'm going to like them doing that, but um, we'll see how that goes. They're going to have to do something hard with Spock. At some, I mean, if I were writing this, like in the last season of this, I would mm-hmm. do something hard with Spock to give him an emotional reset because yeah. he's not this integrated with his emotions in the first in, in the original series. Right. Yeah. Right. So, um, yeah. Uh, last thoughts on this episode, Father Corey. No, uh, I liked. Uh, I I did like Alon doing the uh, antimatter detonator. Uh, I was gonna. I was gonna mention <laughs> yeah. that that is awesome. When the Klingons from the Syndicate are about to kill her, she just suddenly lurches backwards and has this device in her hands and says, "This is an anti antimatter detonator switch. If you don't back off right now, you're going to lose your legs." <laughs> and and then later and the, and she 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 gets him to back down and then later Chapel and Mbenga are talking to her and it's like that's not a thing is it and she says nah was, nope Ahura <laughs> says I've never heard of it. that's not a thing is it <laughs> no it isn't <laughs> nice bluff nice bluff anything else that's it Jimmy so we may have Chekhov's commission on the table because mm-hmm. at the end of the episode when. Commodore April is talking oh, yeah. to Spock. He says, um, I'll let you off this time, but if you ever do anything like this again, it's going to mean your commission. So he threatened his commission. That could well be a setup for a future episode where his commission is on the line. And that could even, if there's another judicial hearing to settle that question or administrative hearing to settle that question, that might be the episode we get Amanda to come back for. Could mm-hmm. be, although it could it could be a very vague reference to Menagerie, where Spock steals the Enterprise mm. again. Oh, yeah. right. Okay, yeah. that could be what they're doing then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Was, that, that just occurred to me as you said it. Yeah, good point. Um, that, I'm sure they were thinking of that. Yeah. The other thing I, I forgot to mention was, of course, the tribute at the very end, the tribute to Nichelle Nichols, oh, yes. the original Uhura, who passed away um, yeah. since the last season. Um, and it was a beautiful tribute talking about how she paved the way which she did. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nichelle Nichols mm-hmm. paved the way for many uh, actors and actresses. And there's a, there's a really nice story about how um, she was going to quit Star Trek mm-hmm. uh, at, after the first season. She felt like her character wasn't you know all that interesting. And, and it was Martin, Martin Luther, Luther King, King. who yeah. was a tra- Star Trek fan, asked her mm-hmm. to stay because of how she was there representing all the African-American uh, actresses and actors and being an inspiration for kids, which she has been. Yep. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was pretty awesome. Yeah, he was like, "What the heck do you mean you want to quit? You're you're there on the bridge, being treated as a professional by fellow professionals. <laughs> yes, as, as an know, equal. This does not happen on other shows. Yep. So I I was very pleased to see that tribute, and I mean, sadly, we're going to you know all of these actors are quite old now, and you know that mm-hmm. we're going to be losing them over time. The you know Shatner, we've lost uh, a bunch of them. I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean Shatner, 
Shatner, and, 92. And, and Koenig and Takei are the only ones left. Yeah. Um, I like they at the end, a conclusion of the text tribute to Nichelle Nichols, they said hailing frequencies always open. Yes. Yes. Very nice. Yeah. So, uh, and may she rest in peace. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. I think so from there, let's move on to our feedback. We got a ton of feedback, as I mentioned, and our first feedback comes You've from- You've been saving it up. I have been saving yeah. well. Uh, since the end of Picard, we've we've actually well it, behind the scenes we've recorded future episodes uh, while yeah. we're waiting for Strange New Worlds to start, and, and, and I didn't we want didn't hold it. And we're not sure when they're going to air, so we didn't want to make people wait uh, half a year or more to or, hear yeah, their feedback. Last year we talked about. No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so here's your feedback. Uh, the first one comes from Chris S, who sent in an email. Uh, I very much enjoyed your review of First Contact. Some quick thoughts and questions for you, Father Corey and Jimmy. I understand commercially the Borg makes sense as a villain, but I felt like the story arc had evolved in TNG and by season seven, they're certainly not the menace they were during Best of Both Worlds. Picard had even worked through his own issues to the point that he ultimately rejects the plan to infect Hugh with the virus. I do enjoy the movie and the introduction of the Borg Queen, but it still bugs me how many of the events of TNG were ignored in the process. Let's take these one at a time. So go ahead and respond to that one. Well, I, I, I agree. I'm not a, I'm not a, I can accept the Borg Queen. I'm not a huge fan of the Borg Queen because mm-hmm. the whole part of the, part of what I liked about the Borg when they were first introduced is their collective consciousness. They don't have a leader. They don't have a yep. critical failure point that you can just deal with. You know, you right. kill the head vampire and all the others are useless. That's, but that's what the Borg Queen is. And mm-hmm. I would have preferred, it's like on Stargate, the replicators. Yep. You know, I, I, I like having a enemy that doesn't, that is, you know, this faceless mob that you can't negotiate with and doesn't have a critical failure point. I mean, mm-hmm. the Borg were, were really just science fiction zombies in a, in a sense, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. So. And, and the, the challenge when you've got a, a, an unbeatable enemy is eventually you do have to beat them. Yeah. And every time you beat them, they become less and less of a threat. Yep. And we definitely see that in Voyager. The Borg almost become meaningless. Yeah. Well, in Voyager, that happens throughout all the series. You know, the Klingons become start as a big threat. They become less the, the Romulans, the the Dominion. You know, it just you have to beat your the enemy to, because over time and then you have to come up with a new yeah. one. So uh, and that's why we have the Gorn. <laughs> so yeah. his next point is, couldn't the Borg have used their time travel portal anywhere? Why battle all of Starfleet just to get to Earth's doorstep to launch it? Why not launch it somewhere far away? Get to the past? And then fly unchallenged to Earth and assimilate it. I know, then there wouldn't have been a movie. Yes, and that's exactly the reason, but it is a flaw in strategic thinking. If you have time travel and the ability to change the past, that's exactly what you would do. Mm-hmm. If yeah. you wanted, if you had an unbeatable enemy, you go back to in their history and or an enemy you can't defeat. Like mm-hmm. in this situation, you go back into their history and you undermine them before they're this strong. And there would have been nobody to stop the Borg in the past if they had not walked right up to Earth and gotten into a fight with the Enterprise that could follow them back. Just stay in your own space, <laughs> go several hundred years in the past, fly to Earth before there is space travel and and, and assimilate everyone then. Um so, you know, this kind of thing is exactly if you had easy time travel like they do in Star Trek, which is at least comparatively easy. All you got to do is mm-hmm. fly around a star the right way. Um, well, 
this would lead to incredible. Everyone would want to change history this way. It mm-hmm. would lead to factions wanting to change history. Yep. It would lead to maybe a temporal Cold War that you could explore. <laughs> but, but didn't. That sounds familiar. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that's what I was thinking. Is like the Borg, they would just keep sending things back until mm-hmm. one of them succeeded. You know, like, yeah. oh, that one didn't work, obviously. So let's send another one. And they would just. So that is a big flaw in the. I, I think. You could kind of explain it in terms of the Borg are like bees. You know, they have this hive mind um, and this, but it's, but they have cognitive blind spots. Mm-hmm. They, they may be very good at doing technology with their hive mind, but they're not that great at doing strategy yeah, with it. Right. And it's kind of like with, with bees and ants and things like that. They're not evolved to think strategically. They, they overcome obstacles by brute force. Yeah. They just throw more bees or more ants or more termites at a problem until it's done. They don't, they're not like us. They don't think strategically and you can trap them in, you know, you put a line of the right substance and you and that they chemically follow and you can get them to walk around in a circle forever and they will never break out of it. (laughs) Right. And Mm -hmm. they will die uh, walking around that circle. So um, so I think the Borg may be very good with technology in their hive mind, but I don't think they're good strategically in their hive mind. That that would make sense, though, because even if they assimilate humans, they don't assimilate the creativity of the humans. They just the knowledge and the physical characteristics of the humans, mm, not true. the creativity aspect that comes with being human. So that, that, that actually does make sense. Uh, his next point, listening to, to your review prompted me to think about how all the next gen movies always focus on Picard and data. I've always been a huge Riker fan, and it's always bugged me that he's generally been relegated to at best a third fiddle in the films. It makes me appreciate the recent season of Picard. Yes, all the TNG supporting cast received much deserved character arcs and attention, but I felt like Riker got slightly more with his story arc and screen time, and I think that's great. Yeah, I would agree. That's part of the problem with doing feature films instead of weekly television is mm-hmm. you got the audience wants to see the big characters in the films, mm-hmm. yeah. and so those are the ones you focus on, and everybody else gets a lot less to do, whereas in weekly television, you can rotate who the focus is on. Yeah, yeah. moving from... TV to films with a ensemble cast is a problem. Uh, I'll be interested to hear your review of Insurrection. I still think First Contact is the best TNG movie, but Insurrection might be better than we remember. It's less mindless action and more of a classic TNG plot that is admittedly a ripoff of the episode Who Watches the Watchers. Also, I definitely would rank Star Trek 3 equal to or maybe even better than First Contact. And uh, Hmm. finally says, lastly, I'm now up to episode five of season four of Discovery. I'm only watching it so I can listen to your episode reviewing season four. I'm wondering if Father Corey or Jimmy can quantify how much time in purgatory I'm avoiding by offering up this suffering. (laughs) Unfortunately, (laughs) unfortunately, Pope Benedict XVI said we can't use earthly calculations to reckon duration in purgatory. Um, (laughs) But in terms of the movie opinion, so I... I would disagree that I don't think Star Trek three is as good as Star Trek uh, first contact, but people Mm -hmm. can have different opinions when it comes to insurrection. I will be open when we end up rewatching that to how is it? Um, There are occasions when I watch something and think this isn't as bad as I thought, but Mm -hmm. my memory is that's really bad. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. This is not, not, 
everything in it is really bad. But the 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 I can remember several bad things. I'll only name one of them at the moment, which is the central premise of we're going to rebel and insurrect on Star Trek for a culture of 200 hippies, mm-hmm. you know, who <laughs> have other members of their race that aren't even on this planet. And it's like, this is not a defensive, this is not a defensible application of the prime directive. Right. You've got <laughs> a little hippie commune on this planet. The, the, the same rules should not apply to it that apply to the Klingon home world or something. Right. Right. Uh, all right. And then, so, so thank you, Chris, for that. And then our next feedback. I, I will say, oh, I will say, by the way, about the purgatory issue, I can think of a lot better penances to do than watching yeah. Discovery. We can, so. we can hope that the Lord is a merciful uh, father who takes <laughs> into account our sacrifices on Earth. Let's put it that way. Uh, on our episode 260 on the alternative factor, the original series episode, Maximilian Cunningham wrote via YouTube, much maligned, this episode, he means, mm-hmm. I found that while it has tactical flaws, it's to be one of the most mind bending that captures the imagination with a haunting conclusion. Spock says madness has no reason, Jim, but it may have a goal in defense of this. Who else was writing about alternate and parallel universes in the sixties on TV? Not even Sterling. Actually, Rod Serling was, if I'm not mistaken, writing about parallel universes. I can think of episodes of the twilight zone. I mean, that's what the twilight zone is, mm-hmm. is an alternate universe. And I can think of episodes where, like, there's the one where the little boy goes under a bed and ends up in an alternate world. There's one where a girl goes through the wall and ends up in an alternate world, if I recall correctly. There's an episode where the devil gives someone from the South the chance to win the Civil War. Um mm-hmm. And the guy decides not to. It's better to have the cause stay noble than to get the devil involved in it. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, and in in his perspective, and so um, so I I I I think there there was, and we also had other parallel universe stuff that was certainly in science fiction at the time. I mean, but I think there was even some on on television. But right, there was another outer limits I, I, too. I, I, I think. I, what's that? Outer limits. I think might yeah, have also. I, yeah. Outer Limits may have done similar stuff. There also was a, um, I, I do agree that the concept in the alternative factor is is good. It's interesting. You've got these, you've got this Jekyll and Hyde guy from different universes. They have a conflict. They end up fighting forever. That's interesting. You get to meet the crazy one. Then you get to meet the sane one. And it, you know, there's it, it, the con, the kernel of this is good. It's the execution of it mm-hmm. that just falls apart and makes no sense. Yeah. Okay. And I will say, you know, shortly after this, you'd have the the E Space trilogy of Doctor Who, which is an alternate universe, not a parallel universe. It's a different universe. You know, and that that's kind of when they started talking about this type of thing as well. Yeah, but in the seventies, oh, really Inferno st- with uh yeah uh, uh ah, second third doctor. doctor third doctor Pertwee yeah yeah so so that it's starting to get talked about, but yeah yeah Star Trek might be one of the more early familiar ones. Yeah to do it first there's probably even parallel universe stuff in lost in space but i don't don't want to i don't want to undertake verifying that (laughs) not worth it uh episode 262 on the tng episode haven dave rutan writes via youtube 
Another podcast I used to listen to would call out each time Trouncellor Troy just came into a room for no apparent reason. It happens a lot in the first and second season of TNG, which now I'm going to be looking for. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've noticed um, Troy either comes into rooms or leaves rooms based on plot convenience. Mm-hmm. Um, she'll come in for no reason when she needs to tell the captain something using her empathy and she will be strangely missing when she otherwise would tell the captain something based on her emphasis, based on her empathy, but they don't want that to happen yet in the episode. <laughs> right, right. So, sounds like the start of a drinking game, but <laughs> not a very good one. Good you'd probably one. get feeling way too good quickly. <laughs> uh, on our discussion of the Voyager episode Learning Curve, Chris S. is back and writes via email. On uh, episode 264, Jimmy talked about the trope of the mad woman in the attic. However, Mm. he wrongly attributed that and the character of Rochester to Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen rather than Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bronte. While both are romance novels offering social critiques, Austen's was considered a novel of manners that realistically portrayed courtship and romance, while Jane Eyre weaves in more gothic and mystery elements. I had to comment as this is one of the few times I can correct Jimmy on anything. Keep up the great work. It happens. Uh, it's been 30 years since since I had exposure to those, so I can get my 19th century British chick lit confused. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, and finally, on our episode 265 on the Enterprise episode Oasis, WD9UFO writes via YouTube. I really enjoyed Enterprise. Too bad they didn't continue with the show. Thanks for the secrets. Pax or peace. Yeah. yeah. It is too bad. They they were is finally getting good and they had plan, mm-hmm. good plans for the fifth season. Yep. yep. Just the typical short sightedness of TV executives. All right. So and that's all of our feedback. We really appreciate everyone's feedback. And as we wrap things up, we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including Dennis S., Fonseca B., Mary C., Jeffrey M., and Richard H., their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us. We'd love to hear what you thought of The Broken Circle, the season premiere of season two of Strange New Worlds. You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek, our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Media. Send an email to trek at sqpn.com or visit our Discord community at sqpn.com slash Discord. You can watch The Secrets of Star Trek on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Media, where you should make sure to subscribe and hit the bell to get notifications. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the next new episode of Strange New Worlds called Ad Astra Per Aspera. Until then, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing The Secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, Dom. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thank you. And since we had both uh, Vulcans and Klingons in this episode, live long and prosper and kapla! <laughs> and once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, I would like the ship to go now. Now.